This is the IBJ Podcast for the week of June 6th, 2022, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Our guest this week is Leslie Bailey, and that name might ring a bell. You might remember her byline from the Indianapolis Star, where she was a reporter from 2012 to 2016, and penned a regular column titled The Adventurous. She'd jump into some new sport or activity or an unusual situation and write about it. As we'll discuss today, taking risks is in her DNA. In 2019, Bailey and business partner Amanda Kingsbury co-founded Indie Maven, a lifestyle website and membership organization focused on providing a wide variety of content and networking resources for women. Because Indie Maven primarily lives online, its startup costs were very modest, and revenue came quickly to handle expenses as they cropped up. As Bailey learned more from the women who were consuming the content and pursuing networking opportunities, she realized that the next obvious move was to create a physical space that could serve that community. So she and another partner co-founded Maven Space, which you could describe accurately as a co-working space again, primarily intended for women, but also offers an abundance of amenities, including a full gym, a podcast studio, a cafe, meeting and event space, a lounge, and a room for new mothers. This was a much bigger risk, which entailed digging deeply into her personal savings and even getting a zero-interest credit card for charging necessary expenses. Maven Space opened in mid-May just a couple of weeks ago, Bailey was fortunate to find a space in the historic Gibson Building downtown at Michigan Street and Capitol Avenue that already was outfitted with many of the features she wanted to offer. She's subleasing the space from Salesforce, which had used it as a meeting, work, and social space for its employees. But the sublease is up in about two years, meaning a new set of important decisions is waiting just over the horizon. In this week's edition of the podcast, Bailey discusses her approach to entrepreneurism, which some would describe as building the plane while you're trying to fly it. She readily admits she wouldn't necessarily advise other new entrepreneurs to take the same path, but as she says, she believes in the idea and wasn't interested in the time and energy needed to try to find investors when women-led businesses historically get so little attention from sources of capital. Here's our conversation. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Leslie Bailey, the co-founder and CEO of both Indie Maven and Maven Space. Leslie, thank you for sharing your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So before you co-founded Indie Maven, which among other things is, is a launch pad for women-led businesses and other ventures, you decided to take an entrepreneurial route and you co-created Indie Maven. Can you walk me through that thought process and what led to that? It was a culmination of a few different things. I um, had left my job at Indianapolis Monthly um, because my mom had been sick. And I had actually left my job before that from the Indianapolis Star because my mom had been sick. She had cancer and all sorts of health issues. And I wanted to be able to um, be there with her and be her caretaker along with my father, which I did. Um, But then uh, she passed away when I was three months pregnant. I then had a son. And after he was about a year old, I was in that crossroads of, do I go back somewhere? And now I'd worked at both the publications I really wanted to ever work at in town. And, you know, 
or do I just, you know, do something? Frankly, it was the motherhood and wanting to have flexibility challenge, I think, that a lot of women have. And I thought, well, if you if you're your own boss, which both of my parents were entrepreneurs, I thought then I guess you can, you know, make your own schedule. Like jokes on me now, <laughs> this many years later, because that comes that comes with a price. And then my co-founder Amanda Kingsbury and I had talked about our time at the star, some of the things that we had wanted to launch and couldn't get off the ground or just gaps that we saw as far as storytelling went specifically for women. We no longer had, you know, Indianapolis Women Magazine and just kind of seeing, wow, this is such a big thing in other cities and wishing we had it here. And it sort of just seemed like, well, this is the time to just try it out ourselves. At that time, when you were explaining to people, this is what I'm doing, what was really the elevator pitch for Indie Maven? What was the mission? To uplift women's voices in our community and doing that through storytelling. So we saw all of these cool, impressive, interesting things that women in our community were doing, and they would maybe get a mention, you know, here or there, but it was kind of the the creme de la creme, top to the top, but it was like, well, what about everybody I don't want to say under that, but you know, who's kind of working your way up to that? Where, where's the, you know, the, the storytelling about them. And so that's where it, we found our, our, our spot. And how big of a risk was this? I did not see that job, that business as a risk, the business I've recently started. Absolutely. And I think having good experience with Indie Maven primed me to feel more comfortable taking a risk with Maven space. I don't know if it was just postpartum fog. It just didn't occur to me that that would be risky to start Indie Maven. <laughs> <laughs> I like it to start a business. It just didn't occur to me that was a risky thing. Okay. And being completely digital, right? Yeah. And, and working with a lot of contractors, it wasn't like the overhead was there. Now, obviously, I could not have anticipated COVID coming five months later. Um, so then it became anxiety inducing for sure. Did you, like a lot of like, lifestyle websites, end up having a good amount of COVID content? Did no, yeah, we did. Well? Yeah, we did. I mean, we grew faster than I expected us to grow. And I think it was because of COVID. And we had a captive audience in front of their computer screens looking for information, entertainment, distraction, education, you know, all of the things. And so, yeah, we did a, we did a, I think we took a different approach to it. I was never trying to, you know, with Indie Maven overall, it was never trying to do things anyone else in the city is already doing. We have a great, we have great resources for long form storytelling or hard news. We took the approach of the lifestyle angle. So there were things like, you know, the mental, very early on, we started talking about the mental health toll that was taking on healthcare workers, or, you know, it was how to plan your kid's first birthday party, or, you know, I'm having about to have a baby. What, what are, what is that going to be like? When you, when you say you were growing faster than you, you thought you would, how would you measure growth? Newsletter subscribers and web traffic. And I don't know, I, I didn't know what to expect but it definitely exceeded my expectations during that period of time. So you were well known at the Indianapolis Star. For the time you were there, you had a great feature called The Adventurous, mm-hmm. where you would you know, jump into some kind of sport or activity or unusual situation and write about it. Did make, taking those kinds of leaps from week to week help you take the leaps that you're taking now? Or is that just in your DNA 
And since you say that your, your parents are both entrepreneurs, I wonder if, if that just wasn't something that you grew up with. I think growing up that way, I just didn't know much else. I didn't stop to think to question a lot of things, which more often than not worked to my advantage as an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> now being more seasoned, you know, now I know to question everything, but I think it just, yeah. And I don't know if, I think that must have just been my DNA. I was never scared doing any of the things I ever did. So what were the main challenges for getting it off the ground? COVID, <laughs> because a large part of uh, the revenue model was uh, events, in-person events. That was a huge part of it. Um, so advertising, later on memberships, We the memberships were not a part of the original plan. Um, we added those. And if you're a member of Indie Maven, what does that mean? So all of our content is free. Our newsletter is free. Everything's free. But we were realizing that women were creating kind of this community. And I think maybe the name had something to do with that. But um, with the events that we were able to have early on, there was just this like very quickly growing sense of community. Women were saying, how do I sign up? And I was like, well, I mean, it's a newsletter. You put your email address in and you know, you're done. And they were like, right, how do I sign up? I'm like, what? And it took us a couple of times. And I've told this story before, but it just, it took us a couple of times to realize they were saying like, I would like to pay you for this somehow. And you have no way for me to do that. And I would like to join this somehow. And you have no way for me to do that. And memberships as a model in general were on the rise at that time. And I thought, oh, that's exactly, they're asking for a membership. And so we created it and um, that gets you free tickets to monthly meetups that we host that are generally themed uh, around our editorial theme for that month. We have a member portal that gets you discounts with local businesses. Uh, we have a private member and Facebook group. So it really is a, a kind of hybrid of virtual and, and in-person community. Do you have a sense of how much you and Amanda or whoever else was involved needed to spend for startup? No, I had no idea. <laughs> I was just like, well, we'll figure out how to pay for things as we do this. We felt very strongly about paying people for their work, right? As, as somebody who has been an, a writer starting out, and, you know, I never wanted to pay, you know, people with exposure because that's not, we don't, you know, how we pay our bills. I did not anticipate how expensive people were, which now I know is like a very known business thing. Uh, but these, I just, you know, I had never done any of this before. So there were definitely some learning, you know, there were lessons along the way, but I had, I had no idea. It wasn't like where with, with Maven space, it was like, I know we need this much furniture and this is what the phone's going to cost. Like it was a lot easier to break down this project because I just didn't know already. I didn't have the experience that I had with the new Maven and being virtual, it was hard to know what, what it was going to cost. Your, your costs are people for Indie Maven. Yes. Uh, and what else would be the, like the major expenses? Uh, we have a web company that we work with, marketing, social media. We have an executive editor, Stephanie Groves, who does an amazing job. Zoom, a tech stack, just all those sorts of things. All the things that it takes to run. I think that's a really interesting thing. You know, when people say, well, can't you just throw this story up on the website and not realizing that that goes through four different paid platforms, three different paid people. Like it costs money to do that. And what do you think your, your startup costs were? I put $1,000 into it and we immediately started selling advertising. Wow. My husband and I put $1,000 in a bank account. And I think maybe over the course of the three years, we've 
put in, I don't know, from time to time, maybe $3,000 more. And that's about it. So you, and the rest has all been from revenue. Yeah. So your revenue is paid for your operations from the beginning. Mm-hmm, yeah. That's amazing. I did, we got an SBA loan, but that's, it's, it's sustained itself very mm-hmm. well from the beginning. Can you say how much you got from the SBA? I want to say I did like a $5,000, like through the Indie Chamber, like the BOI. And then I maybe like 10 from SBA. Can you give us kind of a sense of what the revenue is now? We have cleared 100000 consistently. Annually. Mm-hmm. One of the benefits of Indie Maven membership is monthly office hours with you. So during Maven, so since the launch of Maven Space, I moved those to groups. Um, mm-hmm. but for the last two, so basically all through COVID and until this space opened, I did monthly one-on-ones where you could just sign up and I would talk to whoever wanted to talk to me for 30 minutes. I just take a Friday and the whole day was just spent talking to people about their businesses, about their challenges, personal, professional, but yeah, so now we do groups. So those have been a little bit themed like this month we're doing a hot seat. So we'll have different members bring some have emailed in advance saying what they want to talk about others are just going to present during the one hour and we just do it over lunch and it's a really nice another really nice community building building component to the brand but when you were doing one-on-one did you see your job basically just being a sounding board well it helped me get an understanding of what our community and what women were wanting and needing and lacking and that truly is what ultimately led to the decision to start this space because one of the number one things that they were, the you know, the people I talked to were saying was like, I just want to connect with other people. I want to meet other women. I want to get my business in front of them. I want to learn about their business. I want to support them. I want them to support me. It was the same message over and over and over again, regardless of what the specifics were, the theme was kind of the same. And so when I put that together with some other factors, that's what led to the decision to do this physical mm-hmm. space. And th- this is a much bigger, bigger ask of yourself. <laughs> How is this a different thing for you? It's, so, it's just so different. I mean, it's physical, right? I'm, I'm sitting, I'm actually in our mother's room right now, which also um, serves as a, just a phone booth kind of thing. Um, but, you know, as I'm sitting here going, oh, we should get, the, you know, something hanging on the wall to help acoustics and that lighting's kind of harsh. It's just like, you have these constant physical reminders of things that need to happen. Whereas with Indie Maven, I could close my laptop and sort of just tuck it away for a night. And I wouldn't, you know, it's so much easier not to think about it. But when you're sitting in the space, it's like sitting in the middle of a never ending to-do list. As long as I'm here, there's just not a way to like turn that off. And it's, I mean, it's a big space. It's 15,000 square feet. I did not go small, right? Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with the latest edition of the IPJ podcast and our conversation with Leslie Bailey, the co-founder and CEO of both Indie Maven and Maven Space. 
How did you uh, end up in this space? T- tell tell folks a- about the space and what it previously yeah. was used for, and yeah. then and then how you were able to, to get a hold of it. Yes. So Maven Space is a social club and co-working space created with women in mind. So the number one question there is, can men come in? Yes, we do not expect women to only do business with other women. Welcoming to trans, non-binary, it's a very safe, comfortable space. We hope for anyone that comes in, we also have a event venue rental space and that is open to the public to rent as well. So that kind of addresses that, that first question that I always get asked but truly was created with women in mind. And that was because for thousands of years or forever in history, men have had spaces, right? And actually a guy here working the other day said, is it, does anything like this exist for men? And I said, yes, it's called the entire rest of the world. And- Oh, dude, he walked right into that. <laughs> yes. And, and he laughed and said, yeah, but one that's cool like this. And I said, well, I don't know, but you're welcome to go create one. Um, I can tell you how I did it. You know, and I think what he was saying was, it's like, he was appreciating, you know, what, what we put into this. So to answer your original question, it is in the Gibson building downtown and uh, previously occupied by Salesforce. So that's, it was their kind of amenities employee space. So we have a cafe, we have a gym, we have a catering kitchen. Um, we have added a phone booth that's soundproof and ventilated. Then we have this mother's room. We actually have a podcast, we have a content creation studio that has podcast video recording, small um, to medium, private and semi-private conference rooms. Uh, we have a lending library, so you can take a book, leave a book. Kitchenette, Hubbard and Craven's Coffee. You know all the all the things you get at a, a typical co-working space, but so much more as far as the amenities go. And then we have a an event space that has all the AV three dot drop-down projectors. Seats 120, and the whole space is just beautifully and tons of natural light. I think beautifully decorated. We still have, we still have so much more to do, but it's it's just the the biggest comment we get is how just how nice it feels from an, an aesthetic and an environment perspective, um, which I think for with you know so many of us coming out of just either working in mediocre office type spaces or working from our kitchen table for the last couple of years, it's it feels very refreshing. You were fortunate enough to have a space that was already kind of designed for that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. Uh, My husband works in tech and had told me he had worked with Jenna Barnett from Newmark several times for different spaces with um, different um, companies that he had worked at. And and Jenna is a real estate broker. Yes. Yes. She's a real estate broker and does a lot of commercial. She actually had done the lease originally for this space. Um, So she was very familiar and said, okay, I've got eight, eight place, eight buildings for you to look at on Thursday, but there's this one that they can only do Wednesday. And I really want you to see it. So this is the first space I walked into and it, it, and it just was everything on my list. My list was big windows, natural light, preferably a historic building, but nothing that feels too old inside. And it'd be great if it had a gym. And, you know, I mean, it was my wish list that just came to fruition. It was like when people say, you know, the visualizing or whatever, it was like, here's my list, put it out to the world. First space she showed me. I got a great deal because I'm subleasing from Salesforce, which is one of the reasons I was able to even pull this off in the first place, right? Versus going and building out. But I also felt that it was really important that we do it now. And I didn't want to wait three years or two years or a year even to build something out uh, that was going to be double the price. What's amazing to me is that there's a gym. <laughs> there was a full gym, a full I mean, gym, cardio machines. 
giant weight lifting, leg press, everything you can imagine. We have a private, um, actually fitness studio beyond that, that has TRX. You can do small group fitness classes. We have two bathrooms with showers, three changing rooms. It's yeah, it's a full deal. You can definitely cancel your gym membership if you add that here. As you say, you got a, a good deal on the space uh, as a sublease from Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never leased anything on close to that, that level. I mean, sure. It's still, a, it's gotta be a big, important financial or yeah, responsibility, responsibility. How do you, how do you do that? Well, I was a new um, business too. So it wasn't like when I'm showing them, I didn't want to use Indie Maven from liability standpoint. I wanted this to be a separate business. I had a different co-founder in this business. So it needed to be a separate company, even if it's, you know, we call it a sister company. Um, they're not affiliates officially, but like they're related. And so I had to pay, you know, a deposit and first and last month's rent up front, which I took out of my entire savings. And because I believe in this that, that much, I don't think it's advisable to follow the same approach that I have taken. And I also think it's important to note too, from a fundraising perspective, the first time I heard the statistic about 98% of venture capital going to men, I just thought, why would anyone bother? And that is so sad that that is the case. But the very first thought I had is that's not an option for me. Or if it is, it's going to be two years of at minimum, right? Of like tap dancing for people to say, this is a good idea. My idea is a good idea. And I'm like, I know it's a good idea. That didn't make sense to me. 2%. <laughs> like, no thanks. So I did what most women do. And I got a 0% interest credit card. Then recently was like, that is the most cliche thing. I know better. If I were a man, I would go out and get a loan. So I'm going out and I'm currently in the process of getting a loan because I I knew that about women for, with funding, right? That they will tend, women tend to go out, look for a 0% interest credit card and not look for money. Because it, number one, feels insurmountable for that statistic I mentioned earlier. And then number two, just like, I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I I think it's risk aversion. Um, But I thought, well, I'm already taking a risk. So why not at least take some of the stress away having, you know, money up front. So I'm not joking. When I say Indie Maven, I put $1,000 into that. We were off to the races. Like I put the, that money down and we're figuring it out as we go. You had to pay a, a deposit first and last month's rent. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Or just first month's rent? Yeah. Okay. Well, how big was that check? Big. <laughs> 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 I will tell you my rent is over $10,000 a month. So. Oh, gotcha. And like, that's a good chunk of your personal savings. Yeah. So then you got the credit card. Did you actually put anything on the credit card? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what did you put on a credit card? I mean, everything. Yeah. <laughs> like this entire space is done on a 0% interest credit card. And I know that a year from now, I'm either going to be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Or it'll sort of be like, hopefully more like Indie Maven and it works out. But you're actively looking for a business loan. I'm in the process. Yeah, I just filed or applied rather. Like how much are you looking for? I mean, I decided to go big and I mean, ideally I would like to not have to be stressed out for the rest of the year. So hundred thousand, I think in general, like 
it it was such an overwhelming experience though too i also feel like this is why people this is why people not just women i mean i think this in general why people don't go out and seek i mean it was that it took me weeks to gather all the information and you know asking questions but i'm like i don't know when my house was last appraised and who it was through and how you know but just the amount of time it takes when you already have started your business and you have those 10,000 things on your to-do list already, like I, I do regret not having gone and applied from the beginning, but I also have a much better understanding of what, what this costs now too. This is a, I'm sure a great experience to turn around and communicate to other people <laughs> yes. and, and, mean, and people who want to be entrepreneurs and, and say, yes. well, I mean, maybe they, you know, approach it with you say, how did you do this? <laughs> how did you yeah. Do this? And I don't, I, I, I very much am like, sure. It's a do as I say, not as I do, because I also have a partner who is financially stable and allows this to be able to happen. Right. I am not a single mom trying to figure this out on my own. Like I have safety and stability that allows me the privilege to be able to take the risks that I'm taking. Oh, you I mean, think you, that's also you mean your husband. Yeah. Okay. Is is he the financial partner in the business? No. But you know, also having from even just out beside the financial perspective, like I have a partner who will go pick up my kids and packs their lunches and all does all these things that makes it possible to have two working parents. Like and and this, I mean, parenting is new to me in general, but working parenting is just on another level. I mean, there's a reason this is all we hear people, not all we hear people talking about, but there's a reason that this is such a prominent topic. And in fact, the number one question I get asked in this space as people are touring or coming in is if we have childcare. And I think that will be the next thing to look at for this space. And I think many businesses should be looking at that because that is not a problem that is going to go away. That is not a challenge. Such a challenge has been around for a long time in our country and is just getting worse. Um, but also recognizing that tends to fall on women. And if we can support women, which is what we're trying to do in this space, our entire community benefits. There are Harvard studies, right, that show children eat better. There's better attendance in school. More money goes into nonprofits, right? The statistics go on. Our entire community thrives when women are thriving. And we do not have the systems in place, whether that's funding for VC or it's childcare, to put women in a position where they're able to not just like survive, but to actually thrive. And so that's what I'm hoping this space will do. So your revenue streams for any Maven will be memberships and anything else? For Maven Space? I'm sorry, for Maven Space. Yeah. yeah. So memberships and event venue rental. And the and the memberships, I mean, they really run the gamut price-wise uh, yeah. on your website. I mean, you've got a $35 drop-in. Day pass, yep. Yeah, day pass and or $10,000 annual corporate membership. How do you determine pricing for something like that? Well, a lot of like local market research and then even, you know, Midwest. And there are a lot of spaces like this, like that are specifically created with women in mind. So able to see what people are doing across the Midwest. Um, and then, you know, what co-working spaces here locally charge, but then also understanding that we have a lot of things here are different, right? So the person who's like, I just need a place to go work 
I mean, you could come here, but that's not going to be the only reason you come here because we've got a lot of great co-working spaces. Um, we have big lineup of programming. So that will be for members and people in the community to attend. So that's a huge component of it. The education, the learning, the networking. Now, your lease um, is up, is it next year or? 2024. 2024. Oh, okay. So you've got, you have some time, but you'll have a, a big decision to make, I guess, yeah. as you get closer to there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we stay in this space, if, I mean, we'll be planning because either way, my rent's going to go up too. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not going to stay on the sublease forever. So we have that component to consider that we need to be building in a way that then allows us to afford to stay here. Or at that point, do we look, is it also still the right fit, right? If we have to, and if we, we feel that it's important to end up adding some sort of a childcare component um, or there are some really interesting spaces um, and concepts that are entire buildings, right? That have a restaurant component. I mean, we have the cafe, but a public restaurant component, you know, having different businesses within that space too. So in the same way that, yeah, we have the gym, but is there also a nail salon and a chiropractor and a statistician? And so that's something, that's also another like big picture down the road thing. But that, I think that those will be the questions that we'll be asking over the next two years. I have one more question. It is totally unrelated. It is based on something I saw on one of your profiles that mm -hmm. you consume a lot of master classes. Yes. I'm such a nerd. I like to fall asleep watching master class. Is, is that the, is the specifically the master class service? Like the app. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which ones have you found most helpful? And it doesn't have to be business related. Which ones have you liked the most? Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I love Sarah Blakely's um, she's the mentor of Spank or founder and a mentor. Yes, I guess that was a great one to watch when I was starting my business. I actually remember watching Anna Wintour's when I started in New Maven. Um, cause of course she's just a fascinating character. Uh, I loved is, uh, Alice Waters, the chef. I loved watching, um, her. I watch a lot of the food ones. I thought, um, Daniel Pink, I liked his a lot, uh, sales. Um, I forget the negotiators, but I thought his was good too. I mean, I've watched a lot of them, but those are the ones that have probably stood out. And you fall asleep to these? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, I watched Bobby you, Brown. Is it, makeup. is it worth, is it worth the money? Yes. Okay. If you're going to want, it's like anything, right? It's like Peloton. My Peloton is currently not worth the money. Was it worth the money the first six months? Yes. Do yeah. I hope that it will be worth the money again soon? Yes. But you're getting, you feel like you're getting practical information. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I it's like not just I like people telling stories about what they've done. No, 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 no. They're, I think they're very good. I mean, especially the cooking ones, right? Cause that's just, yeah. i like learning, right. I like learning about people and that's really what they are. And I also, I think I'm again in this season of life of being hyper productive and my mind is just like, even in my downtime, I want to be learning something or so it makes me able to justify sitting in front of my screen at night, maybe? I don't know. Well, I, I will not take up any more of your time because you've been very generous. Oh, no um, problem. Uh, thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. It was nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. My thanks again to Leslie Bailey. And folks, before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest issue of IBJ I want to bring to your attention. First up, 
In a flurry in late May, Indiana officials announced economic development deals with major manufacturers that would bring more than $4 billion in investment. But experts say the state can't rest for a second. As Mickey Shuey reports, the competition for big projects remains tight, and the state still must address persistent weaknesses, such as its undertrained workforce, the high cost of health care, and rising energy costs. Also in this week's issue, David Lindquist explores why multi-day music festivals have trouble taking root in central Indiana, and whether the upcoming Wonder Road Fest can succeed where others have failed. And Daniel Bradley details the fight between residents of a 60-year-old Carmel neighborhood and a proposed $133 million redevelopment project that would extend up to their backyards. Again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. I will say it's quite a bit easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on Central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And here's a new development. We have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business, and now works out to about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.